0: Welcome to Wells of Prayer Podcast with Heidley Loopse. I will just pray so we can start the evening. Thank you, Father God, for another evening that we can spend in your presence and in your word and in your wisdom. I pray, God, that you fill the session with your presence, with your grace, your inspiration, and Lord, that we will hear what your Holy Spirit is trying to say to us. And even if we don't feel like any of it is landing in our heads that we will take comfort and know that we are absorbing it in our hearts and in our spirits and your Holy Spirit will remind us of everything that you've said and everything that you are pressing on our hearts. I praise you for bringing us together for another evening. And I pray the blood of Jesus over every listener, now and later on. In Jesus' name, Amen. There is a little book, uh, from which I will draw some references in the book I'm compiling from this podcast, by John Ortberg, O-R-T-B-E-R-G, The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People. It's a book I can highly recommend. Full of wonderful clarity and common sense and balanced wisdom on the subject of spiritual disciplines. And in this little book, his third chapter is about training versus trying. And I just want to share some notes from it. Um, In this chapter, he starts with an illustration of imagining yourself lying on the couch watching TV and snacking on whatever your favorite snack food is and someone knocks on your door and says, hey, we've been looking for someone to run the Olympic race and we've gotten everybody's profile right down to their DNA and you are the person. This is your chance to run for the country. And you begin to indulge the idea, but it's surprising because at the same time, you know that the farthest you've ever run is from the couch to the refrigerator but then this idea takes hold and it becomes your all-consuming obsession and passion. It's, it becomes the thing you dream about every morning, noon and night. But suddenly you realize you cannot run a marathon right now, even if you tried really, really hard. Because trying can only accomplish so much. If you are serious about seizing this chance of a lifetime, you will have to enter into a life of training. He says, you must arrange your life around certain practices that will enable you to do what you cannot now do by willpower alone. When it comes to running a marathon, you must train, not merely try. This need for training is not confined only to athletics. Training is required for people who want to play a musical instrument or learn a new language or run a business. Indeed, it is required for any significant challenge in life, including spiritual growth. And then he goes on to say that the idea of the difference between training to do something and trying to do something is very, very liberating. This makes so much sense because you can listen to a teaching like this one on spiritual disciplines and decide, tomorrow night I'm going to have an incredible night vigil I'm going to do a three-day water fast and I'm not going to eat all my snack foods and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to become this very great spiritual Christian. (laughs) And five minutes later, you've like ruined it. And that is because motivation is not going to carry you all that far. You need to grow and growth takes training spiritual transformation John says is not a matter of trying harder but of training wisely this is what the Apostle Paul means when he encourages his young protege Timothy to train yourself in godliness this thought also lies behind his advice to the church at Corinth everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training they do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever so in this course where we are talking about a regular prayer routine and regular spiritual practices, the idea behind it is that following Jesus simply means learning from him how to arrange my life around activities that enable me to live in the fruit of the Spirit. That is the whole point of spiritual disciplines. And we've said before, it's not about performance, it's not about telling yourself or showing other people that you are now more spiritual. It's not about earning points with God or earning favor. And it's not necessarily unpleasant to do all of this either. It's about enabling spiritual growth so that you can become mature in Christ. And as John says, so that you can get to that place where you are able to do what you cannot do right now just by your own sheer efforts I wanted to encourage you with this because disciplines are not magical switches they don't make you a mature Christian overnight they are practices that you grow in, kind of like when you have to switch to a healthier eating habit. There's a huge difference between going on a diet and switching to a healthy lifestyle. And a huge part of that difference is how you think about what you eat and why you are eating healthier. For that reason, a lifestyle is far easier to maintain than a diet. Another thing I wanted to mention from John Orberg's book on this is, what is the point? What is the outcome? What is a disciplined person? He says that a disciplined person is someone who can do the right thing, at the right time, in the right way, and with the right spirit. Notice what a disciplined person is not. A disciplined person is not simply someone who exercises many disciplines. A disciplined person is not a highly systematic, rigidly scheduled, chart-making, gold-star-loving early riser. The Pharisees were rigid and organized, but they were not disciplined persons in the sense required by true discipleship. A disciplined follower of Jesus is someone who discerns when laughter, gentleness, silence, healing words, or prophetic indignation is called for and offers it promptly, effectively, and lovingly. That is the outcome we are aiming for. We are not aiming to tick a bunch of boxes to say, okay, we do pray, we do fast, we do this, 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 that and the other. We are aiming at becoming like Christ and doing so by practices that train us towards that goal. Practices that are connected with the empowering grace of God. And that that changes the whole entire picture from trying to be like Christ to actually becoming like Christ. Does that make sense? Lastly, on this topic, I wanted to say, whatever whatever spiritual disciplines the Holy Spirit is pressing on you to do, be wise and take care of yourself and the practices that you choose to incorporate right now should align with the season of life you are in because if you are in a season of life where you cannot spend more than 15-20 minutes of quality time with God every day because you have a busy family or you have a sick loved one to care for or you have multiple responsibilities and priorities heaped on your schedule priorities that you would hopefully have evaluated with the Holy Spirit then that is fine it's not about separating the season of your life and the things that are required of you from your prayer time John Ortberg writes our season of life whatever it is is no barrier to having Christ formed in us not in the least whatever our season of life it offers its own opportunities and challenges for spiritual growth instead of wishing we were in another season we ought to find out what this one offers life counts all of it every moment is potentially an opportunity to be guided by God into his way of living every moment is a chance to learn from Jesus how to live in the kingdom of God in other words if you're on a season where you would be a total wreck at work if you attempted a 12 hour night vigil uh, please don't do a 12 hour night vigil <laughs> because you need to be able to drive safely in the morning and I don't want to said that this person on this podcast encouraged you to do so and then you had a car accident or something the season of life that you are in must be considered in the spiritual practices that you choose, or that you plan to do with the Holy Spirit. I'm in a season of life where, for instance, doing a full-on fast is would not be wise for me, and that's okay. It doesn't make me less spiritual, it doesn't make me a less devoted Christian. Um, because what discipline am I currently in? I'm in a season of intense motherhood uh, that requires a daily enormous exertion of patience and attention and energy, things that don't really come naturally to my temperament. So the season in itself is a training one for me one a season that, of, of training that I might not otherwise have achieved the same lessons if I were not where I am right now. Some of you may be at work in a position that presents very many challenges in terms of your colleagues, in terms of your job description. Um, some of you may be doing the work of three people at your, at your place of employment and it's a challenging stretching season that also counts as training all of life counts it's just the perspective that you view it with you can let God use whatever you need to do during the day as part of your spiritual discipline life as part of the opportunities to grow and to let him train you empower you strengthen you and impart wisdom to you. As they say, hindsight is 2020. You will only see it when you get out <laughs> of the current season, right? So don't look at, at the list or the teachings on, on spiritual disciplines and feel guilty for the ones you're not doing. Look at what you are doing and ask the Lord to help you see it as He sees it. Now, onto the booklet. This little booklet I bought in a monastery in Egypt when I went there the first time, 2004. And the one thing I always find with material from the early church fathers is that every time I read it, it feels like the first time I've read it. I feel kind of the same way about Proverbs. I never feel like I'm entirely familiar with that book. And... There's so much in here that I just felt prompted to go through the whole little booklet with you and add some comments here and there, because this will serve as a very excellent preparation for the teaching we'll do on on meditation and methods of Bible reading next week. I want to start on the second page, page four in my booklet where it talks about the Bible and how unique of a book it is the Bible tries in many ways to prepare man inwardly to receive him although it may appear outwardly that it is man who makes his way towards God the joyful and wonderful truth is that it is God who comes to man as a lover and deeply loving father if any man loves me let him keep my words and my father will love him and we will come and make our dwelling with him John fourteen isn't that reassuring this is why the Lord commands us to prepare our hearts for his blessed coming. My heart is ready, O God. My heart is ready. Psalm 57, verse 7. The next, the first little subheading in the booklet, well, the second one, is the reader in relation to the Bible. And all of this is, it. the little booklet first goes into a perspective of how you view your relationship to the Bible and the relationship of the Word who is Christ with you. And about whether you approach the Word with your spirit or with your mind and intellect. These are very important points, particularly in the West, where the intellect has become somewhat idolized in academic development, and the spiritual side of things gets left behind we need to ask the Lord to bring that into line. There are two ways of reading the Bible. The first is when a man reads and puts himself and his mind in control of the text, trying to subject its meaning to his own understanding and then comparing it with the understanding of others. The second is when a man reads putting the text on a level above himself and trying to bring his mind into submission to its meaning. even setting the text up as a judge over him counting it as the highest criterion the first way putting your mind in control of the book is suitable for any book in the world whether it be a work of science or of literature the second method where you submit yourself to the text is indispensable in reading the bible the first way gives man mastery over the world which is his natural role The second gives God mastery as the all-wise and all-powerful creator. But if man confuses the roles of these two methods, he stands to lose from them both. For if he reads science and literature as he should read the gospel, he grows small in stature. His academic ability diminishes and his dignity among the rest of creation dwindles. And if he reads the Bible as he should read science, he understands and feels God to be small. The divine being appears limited and his awesomeness fades. Man acquires a false sense of his own superiority over divine things, and this is the very same forbidden thing that Adam committed in the beginning. Now, There are many people who approach the Bible sort of with their minds in an attempt to challenge the book and gain control over it and set out to prove it wrong. And more often than not, that turns into a story of just the opposite, where they get an encounter with God, get an encounter with Christ, who is the Word, and discover that God is above us, God is sovereign, and the Word is the ultimate way of understanding that, and it's unlike any other book. This may seem like a very obvious point, but bear with me, I think there are many moments where we read the Bible the same way we read any other book we don't pay it as much attention as much respect um, and with as serious of an attitude as we should If if we read the Bible with the same sort of mindset that we read other things or we try to dissect the whole Bible nitpicking things apart it just it it ruins the whole experience because it's like trying to intellectualize the Bible and that's not what it's meant for the booklet says at the end of page 5 on the contrary it is man who must yield to the love of God so that his mind may be open to the divine truth It is then that he will be prepared to receive surpassing knowledge. And then he quotes Ephesians 3 verse 17 to 18 that says that being rooted and grounded in love you may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. In other words going into the Bible and reading the Bible and meditating on it with your intellect is not going to get you very far. It's it's meant for so much more than your intellect and you are not going to be able to control it that way but if you come to your bible humbly and say god i submit myself to your word give me your understanding as so many psalms say give me understanding that i may receive your word or understand your word then you get divine understanding, you get the mind of Christ, and that just changes everything. Spiritual understanding expands with the truth, and the truth expands with it, into all the fullness of God, that is to infinity. Intellectual memorization, therefore, weakens divine truth, and strips it of its power and breadth, so it's not a suitable way to approach the Bible. Again, what are we saying? Don't approach the Bible... Just with your mind. We need to approach the Bible with our whole being. On page six, Father Mata al goes into spiritual memorization. An idea I'd never heard described that way. There is another way of memorizing the Word of God by which a man may recall and review the text, though not whenever and however he wishes, but rather whenever and however God wishes. This is spiritual, not intellectual memorization, and God grants it by His Spirit to those who understand His words. In John fourteen twenty six, The Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of all that I have told you. Just as God gives spiritual understanding to those who ask sincerely and honestly to know Him, upon which their minds are open to understand the text, So also spiritual memorization is a spiritual work which God gives to those who have been granted to be witnesses for him, which is all of us. When the Holy Spirit recalls certain words to us, he does so in depth and breadth, not simply reminding us of the text of a verse, but giving with it irresistible wisdom and spiritual power to bring out the glory of the verse and the power of God in it. Have you ever experienced that? Or you may have a conversation with someone or a person phones you and says, I'm going through this, that, and the other. Please, please, can you give me advice? Can you pray with me? Can you be a soundboard as to what I'm hearing from God onto you? How to deal with this situation? And all of a sudden, a scripture comes to your mind. And in applying it to, this, to the situation, you suddenly have a completely new revelation of it. That's what this is referring to. Let's continue, page 7. Nevertheless, man must be prepared for this spiritual recollection by keeping his heart conscious of the word of God through pondering upon it frequently and storing it up in his heart out of love and delight. Thy words were found, and I ate them, Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, and they were sweeter than honey to my mouth, Psalm 119, verse 103. He constantly recited it to himself. On his law he meditated day and night, Psalm 1, verse 2. And every time he came, he comes across a profitable word, he impresses it on his heart. I have laid up the, thy words in my heart, that I may not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verse 11. Just as God warns us to talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, and you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Deuteronomy 6, verse 8 to 9. Now, There is a great difference between a man who recites and meditates on the Word of God because it is sweet and beneficial to his soul and rejoices his heart and comfort his spirit, and one who meditates on it in order to repeat it to other people so that he shall stand out as a teacher and skillful servant of the gospel. For the first person, the Word remains for it builds an awareness of heart or a relationship with God. For the second person, it simply passes into the intellectual memory where he can use it to build relationships with people. Have you seen people who can quote reams and reams of scripture, and it's very impressive, but it doesn't seem to be any real life in it? That's an example. It's it's one thing to know the word; but it's another thing to know the one who is the word. It's one thing to use the word, to impress others and look good, and it's much better to use the word to be of service. Spiritual understanding of the saying's commandments and teaching of God is our entrance into the mystery of the gospel. And the sign of the spiritual understanding is a man's sense that there is within him an inexhaustible spring of spiritual insights into the word of God and that each truth is related to all the rest. In his heart he is able to relate every verse he reads to another verse and every insight broadens into harmony with another so that the gospel easily becomes a unified whole. The word of God is spiritual. It is even in some sense a spirit, as the Lord says. The words that I spoke to you are spirit and life. Now, we are not saying that the only way to be spiritual and have spiritual understanding is to know your Bible back to front, upside down, inside out. As useful as that is, there are some people who are new believers who have only had the Bible for a couple of weeks, or few months, are completely new to Scripture. But even in those first encounters with Scripture, they become so familiar with the Lord behind those verses, that that person can speak zealously of God with a sincerity and power that attracts the hearts of others to God. It's about knowing the Lord behind the Bible, obviously. I know these concepts seem so simple, but it beca- they are also very easy to miss, even for those of us who have been Christians for years. On page 8, a practical introduction to understanding the gospel. The gospel is spiritual. It must be obeyed and lived through the Spirit before it can be understood. If anyone has true zeal, burning love, and total obedience to God and carries out just one of the commandments of the gospel precisely, he enters into the mystery of the gospel without being aware of it. The first thing he discovers is God's faithfulness in fulfilling his promises in his own soul. This makes his mind eager to receive the spark of living faith that settles in the heart and kindles there a great fire of love and fear of God. A man's spiritual experience increases and the level of his understanding of the gospel deepens according to the degree to which he carries out its commandments faithfully and precisely this is where that relationship element comes in. When when you begin to live out a single principle or command of scripture that God is working on you with, there is something about the experience of that obedience that that is an encounter with God in and of itself. It's, it's an experience that Let God work through you and in you and do something in your life as you obey him and it it, it fires up your soul it's not something that just happens all by yourself I find this description of it so so beautiful a sincere and humble acceptance of obedience to God springing from a heart undefiled by falsehood hypocrisy, love of display or exhibitionism and not looking for any particular results may be considered the beginning of the true way to the knowledge of God. This is because man's intention is tested by temptations as he tries to carry out the commandments. He is helped according to the degree of his faith and perseverance. And insofar as he receives help, his trust increases and his knowledge of God and his ways grows surer. All this is to say that the spiritual understanding of the gospel and of God is the result of the formation of relationship with God through obedience to his commandments. It's not simply an understanding of texts and verses, but an understanding of the power of the word and knowledge of the life that springs forth from the verse based on experience, trust, evidence and an unshakable faith in God. in simple terms we would say there is a difference between reading the verse and living and experiencing the verses you are reading in the Bible isn't that so? many in the world have entered into the mystery of the gospel through one of the many commandments such as voluntary poverty and simplicity of life refusing to set money aside for emergencies and putting their faith in God before all other considerations through this they have tasted the wonders of God, their minds have been opened, they have perceived the mystery of the divine plan and understood God's words as people who lived them out and experienced and fulfilled them. In this way they were able to evangelize with great faith and courage. They have, under- they have experienced the power of the word of God and found it in a great comfort and delight. They have understood how man lives by the word more than by food and medicine They have known God and tasted him, and their minds have been illumined by his words. All of this turns reading into an experience that brings forth the understanding we so desperately want. In contrast, academic meditation on the Bible stimulates the mind, but leaves the spirit unmoved. It makes the listener desire the truth without showing him how to enter into it. It provides us with an image of God but cannot bring us face to face with him. Have you ever had days where you open your Bible and you say, God, please just speak to me. And it's as if your whole life is crowding your mind so loudly you can barely see the verses you are trying to read let alone the face of God. And it's, it's like you experience this pressing in and you're trying with your mind and your soul is broken and it is this enormous struggle to just enter into that place that you seek unfortunately this type of approach this way of approaching scripture as a way to win an argument or Uh, expound on principles and then add scriptures to prove what we are saying is now a thing that has precedence in many churches in many Christians lives in many Christian schools and training institutions and this causes a huge loss because that experience of encountering the living word is lost to intellectual analysis and intellectual interpretation and argument but practical meditation on the Bible the one the sort of practical meditation that brings the word into your real daily life that is attained by receiving the divine truth through secret obedience to the commandments and as a result of the faithful clinging of the heart to God in seemly fear and true humility It builds a practical and sure relationship with God. It builds an inner life with God which impregnates a man's words and thoughts and teachings with divine power. Thus with a single word he may convey the truth to the listener as did the early fathers who lived the gospel with all their heart and mind and power. Their words were not eloquent and full of high-flown meditations but they had power to give new life to the listener. In the sayings of the early fathers of the 4th century and later on, this was the normal pattern of instruction. A novice, a disciple, would go to the old father and say, speak me a word that I may live. The old man would say very little to him, but because of the power of his experience and the grace it brought, this little would be enough for the novice to live by and overcome all the difficulties he faced. This is the truest picture there is of how the gospel should be understood and preached. How appropriate for us today are the words of the Apostle Paul. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. On this particular point, I want to say I have experienced that it is true. Um, My spiritual father and mentor, the man I met in Egypt, what is it now, 16 years ago? He had this way of, we would be in contact via email, and I would send him a message, telling about my challenges and what was going on in my life from time to time and he would send either, the, either a voice clip or a email back, one paragraph very short if it was ever three paragraphs long that was considered a long email but in the very little that he said or wrote there was so much love, so much prayer-fueled power and grace that it encouraged me and empowered me to keep going at times where just about nothing else could. It's an incredible experience when someone prays for you that way and puts input into your life that way with like one line or three sentences at a time and it's enough for you. It's it's an incredible experience. And that only comes from a relationship with God along with the spiritual disciplines and practical meditation on the Word. The Power of Life of Practical practical Simplicity, page 12. If you look at the book of Acts, so many people were simple and ignorant of the Bible. And most people didn't read because manuscripts weren't readily available but in spite of the many new converts' faith in Christ and the influence of their old pagan customs their spiritual life and their demonstrations of faith, love and zeal were a fine example of a powerful life lived according to the precepts of the gospel, a model for practical understanding of the meaning of eternal life, the kingdom of God living by faith, dying to the world, faithfulness to Christ Expectation of his second coming and a living faith in the resurrection. The secret of all this is that they lived by what they heard. Every commandment fell on faithful hearts prepared to act on it sincerely. The gospel was translated into work and life. All the words of Christ entered deep into the fabric of daily life. Those simple people understood the gospel, they understood it was a life to be lived, not principles to be discussed and they refuse to understand it on a purely academic level. Up to this day, faithful followers of Christ still draw life for themselves from the living spring of the understanding of those early Christians. People like you and me, who are reading this today, and listening to this today, we are drawing life from this. Those early Christians, when they heard, Blessed are the poor in spirit. They sold everything and laid the money at the feet of the apostles. When they heard, blessed are those who mourn now, they despised all suffering and weariness in the service of the Lord. When they heard, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, they bore the cruelest humiliations and insults and attacks. When they heard, watch and pray, they met in the catacombs to watch and pray all night. When they heard, love your enemies, history recorded no resistance put up by the Christians, whether positive or negative, against their persecutors and they bowed their necks to the sword in humility and obedience to honor the words of Christ this was for them the meaning of reading the gospel and understanding it there was born in them a hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God and this is why the Holy Spirit was at his most active in working with them he would give power to the word strengthen their hearts support them in weakness lead them in the darkness comfort them in distress and accompany them along the way Till so they gave up their spirit into the hand of its creator with great glory. I was I was struck when I read this because these are things that we don't hear in this way in the church today. Or at least not very often. Christianity has become something we talk about and we discuss. And we criticize how people live or don't live it out. And we fail to question ourselves with the Holy Spirit and to see how much of our relationship with God falters into our daily life our daily resources our daily work our daily interactions the Lord compares whoever hears the word and obeys it with a man who built his house on the rock this is a pointer to the fact that the power of the word is dependent entirely on one's practical experience of it For one can only receive and no help in difficulty and danger, and the mysterious aid of the Holy Spirit through sincere obedience to the precepts of the gospel. A word on a man's lips, if he truly lives by it, is like a house built on a rock. It is firm and has nothing to fear from shocks. Christ said in Matthew 7, verse 24 to 25: Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock and the rain fell. Bloods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And there, perhaps, you may say with me, if if only my house could be built on the rock, and my reading and understanding and knowledge of the gospel could be used for living, rather than as a subject for talking, preaching, conversation, and meditation. Amen? Just give me a yes in the chat box, if you all can still hear me. I just want to check the sound again. Are you all still with me? Is this making sense? Ah, good. Okay. I'm so glad you can still hear me. For a second, I had a paranoid thought that nobody heard me for the last 20 minutes. (laughs) It's okay if I'm preaching to myself, though. I needed to. One example... Here of a spiritual man who went the wrong way is given in the book on page 15 William he had attained the highest level of knowledge, understanding, vision and prophecy accessible to a spiritual man but his behavior was no better than that of the most evil and deceitful of men he is the one who God had given him a word and he was able to bless the nation of Israel but secretly he did his own thing Um, he outwardly blessed the people of God he was secretly working against them by, by wicked consultation and was pleased to receive a reward for that sin his story clearly shows that the understanding and teaching of spiritual matters even to the level of prophecy, if not supported by a holy life and conduct, in integrity and the fear of God, cannot save us from the curse and death which set the seal on the life of Iliam. This, this example here of ilium it's a story we all know and have read at least once, mostly because of the donkey Um and we are all encouraged by the fact that God used a donkey to speed up, speak up. But on the opposite end of the story, um, there is a grave warning. There are many people who make a big do out of their prophetic gifts. And they are quick to speak. They are quick to almost make it a show and on those occasions that's where my spiritual alarm bells start going off and I am careful because prophecy comes with responsibility whether you are called to the office of the prophet or whether you are exercising a prophetic gift either way it comes with responsibility God gives the gift but it is our responsibility to train ourselves to have our character support a pure function and fruit of that gift because if you prophesy one thing and you secretly live in sin you are setting yourself up for judgment There is something about the gift of prophecy, about speaking spiritually inspired, Holy Spirit inspired words to someone that should really put the fear of God in you. <laughs> um, because it's important, it has to do with your relationship with other people, it has to do with your relationship with God, it has to do with being a mouthpiece in that very moment. And you don't want to be a dirty mouthpiece. And if if God wants to clean his house, he's gonna start with us first, rather than the people that we prophesy to. And I think as wonderful as the gift of prophecy is, and as much as Moses said, you wish that the whole nation would prophesy, and that is that would be wonderful because it would mean every person can hear from God for themselves as much as all of that is true on the other side i think the body of christ could also use a bit of sober balance and sober consideration and respect for the inspiration of the holy spirit when it comes to exercising the gift of prophecy don't don't be in a hurry to use that gift willy-nilly. Yes, be bold. Yes, speak the truth in love and be an encourager when God calls you to do so when he sets your heart on fire for someone. Do it. Exercise it. But also maintain an awareness of the Holy Spirit's working in your life. And don't actively pursue wrong things in secret I think you will get away with them. The Lord knows our hearts. He knows what our desires are. And my prayer is that for myself and for every listener that we would begin to take these things seriously. That we would take the word seriously, that we would take the gifts of the Lord seriously, that we would take our calling and role to be a witness seriously wherever we are and Pelian's example is a sober warning to continue page 16 take heed how you hear before you read the Bible or hear the word of God look within yourself to see where the word of God will come to rest here we go back to the parable of the sower the ones along the path are those who have heard Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, Hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bring forth fruit with patience. Take heed, then, how you hear. Luke 8, verse 12 to 15 and verse 18. When it comes to hearing the gospel, there are four kinds of listeners. They do not need to be explained or clarified because the Lord Jesus explained himself. So look and see how the Lord says you should hear. Is it with a heart that spends all day along the roadside? Or with a heart that has no debt because it is afraid to sit alone and examine its life? Or with a heart inclined to set aside money as insurance for the future? Or with a heart always loaded with imaginary cares? Take heed how you should hear the gospel. It seems that the Lord wants to say that one hears with his heart rather than his ears, and that the inner life affects the word of God, either killing it or making it live and thrive. So whoever wants to hear the word well, understand it and hold it fast in an honest and good heart. This is what we pray for every time we do the Psalm 51 in introductory prayers. Whoever wants to hear the word well should prepare his heart inwardly, so that the word may safely take root there, finding in his heart faithfulness to God and truthfulness in word and promise. It is absolutely impossible that anyone should understand what he hears of the word of God if he is not completely honest before God and is determined to surrender his life, his responsibilities, his interests, his money, his future, and his own honour, and lay them at God's feet. For how can a man who is afraid of tomorrow, of the future, understand when the Lord says, take no thought for tomorrow, and take no thought for your life? And how can he who is concerned for his honour understand the cross, and how can he who is afraid of sickness or death understand the resurrection? He who asks to read the gospel is in fact asking for eternal life. And he who asks for eternal life has to take a clear stand with regard to his present life. What a challenge is that! Let's take the challenge even further. Forgetfulness of the word is a psychological deception. Page 17. There is no finer illustration than that of James the Apostle when he describes the man who hears the word of the gospel and forgets it as being like one who sees his face in a mirror, but as soon as he leaves the mirror, forgets what he looks like. For whoever disregards the word he hears, immediately loses his self-perception. One kind of man listens to the gospel, receives the word and stores it up in his heart. He is constantly aware of the instruction he has received, and sets it before him like a mirror, using it continuously to correct his speech and thoughts and actions. Another kind of man listens to the gospel, but not a single word of what he hears stays in his heart, because it is oblivious and irresponsible, and concerned with matters more important to it than the gospel and eternal life. They may be his work, his troubles, his pleasures, concerns that he may consider to be in God's service or there may be nothing at all in his heart. And this is also a disaster, for while he is reading the gospel, he may be so moved that he sighs or even weeps, but afterwards he becomes involved in his own affairs and forgets his sighs and tears. A man like this may imagine that his forgetfulness is beyond his own control, but this is a psychological trick. The truth is that the soul wants to forget the gospel because it does not like it. One may feel... One may read the gospel regularly every day, but feel that there is an unbridgeable gap between what he reads every day and what he does every day. This gap is dug by forgetfulness. As the days go by, reading the gospel becomes no more powerful or effective, and no change of life or even progress along the path takes place. This forgetfulness is what James the Apostle considers self-deception. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror, or he observes himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. James 1, verse 21 to 24. How do we fix this forgetfulness? It is by getting circumcised ears. This significant spiritual expression was spoken by Saint Stephen the martyr to the council set up to judge him when he felt that they were resisting the Holy Spirit to satisfy their own purposes. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Acts 7:51. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through the gospel, but only the circumcised ear can hear his voice. That is, the ear whose foreskin has been removed. By that And Stephen means lack of submission to God and having a heart too far from God to hear his voice. Those who have uncircumcised ears or hearts are strangers among the people of God. They do not understand his commandments or respond to them because they regard themselves as having no commitment to obey. He whose ear is uncircumcised neither hears the spirit nor is influenced by him nor responds to him because by his own will he has refused to put himself under submission to the Holy Spirit out of fear of him. He fears that the Spirit may ask him to give up things, or possessions, or principles, or relationships, which he finds beneficial, or pleasurable, and important to him personally. To give them up would be a loss he does not want to accept. So he is afraid of the Holy Spirit, lest he should ask him to act against himself or against the world, for his self is dear to him, and the world is his delight. A man who has an uncircumcised ear is he who has not cut off the foreskin of his self and does not want to cut the foreskin of the world from either his heart or his ear. He is not prepared to sacrifice anything ever, or at least he is not prepared to sacrifice everything for God. He hears the Holy Spirit but pays him no heed, trying every time to stifle the voice of his conscience. He has from the start excused himself, from the responsibility of listening to the voice of God. The situation had earlier been described by the prophet Isaiah and the Lord himself made a revealing comment on it. Seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are heavy of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should perceive with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn for me to heal them. Matthew 13, verse 13-15 and Isaiah 6 verse 9 isn't this absolutely brutal isn't it deeply sobering to realize that you can read the word listen to the word listen to sermons on YouTube listen to anointed services and preachers and prophets and people who are amazing speakers for God and see no growth or change or fruit in your life because you have secretly excused yourself from acting on what God tells you. How often do we stop to think about the things we hold dear in life, how badly we want what we want and why, the motivations behind the things we do, and question whether we would be willing to let all of that go, to follow God's instructions instead? do we ever pause long enough to even realize that God may have a completely different approach to things than we do? I think that if you feel your heart is dull and your ears are deaf and your eyes are blind to the direction of Christ in your life, this is a worthy thing to go and address with the Holy Spirit you go and look what is in your heart what is it that you hold more dear to yourself your own heart than the love of Christ you may find answers there that are uncomfortable unpleasant even painful you may find answers there that you did not expect to find the Holy Spirit knows what's in your heart better than you do (laughs) even scripture says so David wrote try my heart see if there is any wicked way in me let the Holy Spirit go and look in your heart and ask yourself if you are willing to let go of the things he shows you there The Lord exposes the intention of his hearers in these scriptures. They gave the appearance of reading and listening to the commandments of God, but in fact they were determined not to be influenced. So they closed their eyes and ears so that they should neither see nor hear. The Lord exposed their reason for this. It was that they were afraid lest the voice of God should sound so clear and the censure of the Holy Spirit become so convincing that they would be forced to give up their erroneous positions and embezzled possessions, the plans they had made for their future and the sinful relationships for which they had sold their souls, and not only their souls, but also eternal life and even God himself. They, like many of us, did not refuse to read or hear the gospel, but when they came to certain passages, certain voices or certain commandments, they would become confused and pass them over quickly and close their eyes, escaping anxiously from the voice of the Holy Spirit. This is where the uncircumcised ear shows itself, for it is disturbed by the voice of God and avoids it, just as the snake stops its ears so as to not hear the voice of the magician and obey and submit to it. O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Galatians 3 verse 1. Let us stop a while and return together, dear reader, to the passages and verses and commandments we have deliberately avoided with cowardly determination our hearts would protest at our obstinacy and tremble and beat fast and painfully for we were aware that we were resisting the Holy Spirit and putting ourselves in danger of death and estrangement from God by this deviousness. Let us quickly correct our attitude to the voice of God. Perhaps now is the time to take ourselves by storm, break its obstinacy and pride, cut off its pleasures and fears and turn to follow the voice of God. Remember then, from what you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Revelations 2 verse 5 It may be that you are afraid to face your desire for greatness and leadership, or your impurity, or your enmity, malice and hatred towards others who threaten your own interests, or your treachery, or your cruelty, injustice or crooked judgments, or your dishonesty, stealing wrongful acquisition of goods, cheating and love of undeserved gain, or your lying, or your lack of trust in God and reliance on money and insurance for the future. Or it may be more than all these, since you are running away with all your being from the face of God. You have no foothold on safe ground, and you are trying now to hide your face from him who sits upon the throne, closing your eyes lest you see. Luke 8 verse 10. In this situation, reading the gospel is of no avail, and hearing it only brings judgment. Do you see now why I felt prompted to work through this booklet with you tonight? I believe there are listeners who sincerely want to follow the Lord and who sincerely have major struggles letting certain things go, who have major struggles letting go of certain behavior patterns, thinking patterns, and who use those negative thinking patterns to justify the poor behavior or the lack of obedience to God, the lack of taking action on the word. The human mind likes to agree with itself and to filter everything out that it does not agree with. But if your filter is not washed in the word, You may well be filtering out the voice of the Word of God, not the Holy Spirit. During lockdown, we are in a time where Christians face more scrutiny than ever. And the pressure to measure up and to be an effective witness is on another level. And we would would do well to learn from the persecuted church. We would do well to learn from those who have far less than we do, and who show up every day with a smiling face, without complaining, trusting God from day to day, hour to hour on public transport that is dangerous. We would do well to admit to God that there is absolutely nothing about this pandemic that we can control we can only control in a sense what we let go and what we put in God's hands because God is the one who is sovereign controlling everything yourself will only get you so far and then you'll probably burn out Um, let the Holy Spirit speak to you With love, He does not come with condemnation like the enemy. He does not bring guilt like the enemy. He comes to those who sincerely ask the Lord to speak to them. And if you sincerely ask him and ask the Lord for courage, to let go of those things you hold so closely in your hands and in your heart, he will help you and he will give you a new revelation of who he is. Because that is what is lacking when we do this. If, if, if we are afraid of the voice of God because of the things we cling to, it shows that we still have a very poor understanding of who He is as our Heavenly Father, as our provider, as our healer, as our Almighty God and Ancient of Days. Earlier today, I was attending virtually the memorial service of a friend's husband and I had to attend virtually because the physical attendance was limited because of the pandemic. But I was deeply moved when the wife, the widow of the husband mentioned that she had questioned God and asked God, how do you find truth in the middle of a difficult reality? And God gave her the answer, and she realized that Christ is the truth in our reality. Your current reality may be that you are facing severely limited funds. You may have to make some drastic and unpleasant and incredibly painful decisions that come with a lot of grief and loss. You, you may be facing an overwhelming amount of challenges such that even just explaining them makes you want to break down. But in the middle of all of that reality, Christ is there and Christ is truth. And he is with you. And I believe we need to, part of being an effective witness in this time is to let God's presence in and with us be enough for us to live from rather than our circumstances our positions our resources, our bank account balances and all of those things what matters most is Christ and if we seek him first he knows what we need and he will take care of us Let's finish up this booklet. If after all this you ask, how can I acquire an ear that can hear the voice of God? I would answer, prepare yourself first to receive his demands and requests and directions, and be ready in your heart to carry them out, no matter what the cost. Immediately you will have an ear that hears the voice of Almighty God. Morning by morning he wakens. He wakens my ear to hear as those who are taught the Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious Isaiah 50 verse 45 for he whose ear is circumcised is very courageous and able to take action the heart that is ready to accept the great demands of God is able to hear every inflection in the voice of God and does not miss a single word the voice of the Son of God behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him and he with me Revelations 3.20 The Lord does not only knock at the heart's door, he even calls his sheep by name, so that we may hear and open up to let him into our lives, to share with us the tears of our supper, and then to share with us his wedding feast. We do not need to go in search of God as if he were in hiding far away. In this, we simply exhaust ourselves in searching, imagining, meditating, and scrutinizing books. The whole time he is standing before us at the door of our heart, never going away. The knocks of his hand at the door are his words, and he never stops knocking, all the days of our life, so that the Spirit may wake from its slumber and distinguish the voice of its lover. We do not need to resort to fervent pleas and tears and emotional supplications that the Lord may come to us, for he is always present, and he is knocking even now. And he will not stop because he wants to enter our lives, for he finds his own rest with us, and his greatest joy is to share with us our cross and our dark night, for he still loves the cross but it is we who do not rightly value his voice mistakenly making little of it and disdaining it Mary Magdalene underwent the same temptation when she sat weeping at the tomb and thought the Lord standing before her was the gardener when the Lord lost patience he called her by name and immediately she recognized him how often have we stood weeping looking far away up to heaven where we think the Lord Jesus lives he is present and standing before us, and all that prevents us from encountering him is our heart's lack of perception. He never stops calling us by name, and nothing prevents us from hearing his voice but our preoccupation with our own daily problems. The mistake we make is that we want to see him in time, in the midst of the daily events that fill our mental and emotional emptiness. But in fact the Lord is present now, beyond all these things, beyond time and event, which he controls according to his own wise plans. The alert and simple soul notices the touch of his hand, writing the story of its salvation through the years and the succession of events. Our successes and our failures work together in a positive way, guided by the Almighty for our salvation. The other mistake we make is that we want to hear the voice of the Son of God with our physical ear, speaking a human language with the voice of a man. And of course, God can do that, and sometimes he does. But the voice of the Son of God cannot be so limited it is a power that moves the soul raises it up and refreshes it it is a deep incomprehensible peace it is rest and comfort it is life itself in its limitless breadth and height breadth and height so where are the words in which his language and voice may be expressed god speaks and every man on the face of the earth can hear his voice understand and respond as if he is being called personally by name His voice is the voice of all the ages. It does not fade or die upon the breeze. Nor is it restricted, nor does it return to him empty. And there will come a time when he will call, and the whole of creation will rise from its death. No one can hear the voice of the Son of God except him who is raised in spirit to the level where God can direct and call him, the level of the kingdom and life with God. That is the level above daily events. This is the life we are all called to live, listeners. There we can receive from him instruction for our life and a plan for our salvation through these very daily events and even using them. No one can hear the voice of the Son of God except him who opens his heart and mind to understand his language, whose words and tones are made of love, tenderness, peace, kindness and constant fatherly care, no matter how cruel life and its circumstances may appear to be. If your ear is so spiritually trained to understand the symbols of the divine messages that they appear in temporary events, you will hear the Lord's hand knocking at the door as you read the words. He will be knocking at your door, sometimes gently, sometimes hard, and you will hear his voice through the clamour and the storms, as well as through a gentle breeze. He calls you to open the door for him, to receive from him the mystery of his wedding feast, after sharing with you the bread of your tears. The Lord is near. He is humble and his voice is low lower than the voice of man but deep deeper than eternity itself the man who is alive to god does not allow the word of the gospel to slip away from him or be forgotten rather in respect reverence and fear he makes it as a crown for his head and sets it over his whole life the zeal of the pious the devoted is very evident when they are listening to the gospel They look as if they have entered into the presence of God, or as if they are standing around the altar about to receive the body and the blood. It is not that they have simply cultivated the custom of honoring the gospel or appearing to do so as the hypocrites do, but rather that they receive from it power upon power, as if they were hearing the voice of God himself. I want to stop there. And I hope and pray that the images described, such as this one right now, in this last paragraph, will remain in your mind when you read the Bible again. And when you open your Bible, you hold it with love, realizing that it is the breath of God sitting in your hands, ready to strengthen you and empower you and to give you courage for the things that you feel are insurmountable and unconquerable the things that you are deeply struggling to overcome. The power is right in front of you in the Word. The power is in letting the Holy Spirit search your heart and letting Him show you what He finds in your heart with love. It is in being very honest with the Lord about your failings, your brokenness, your incredibly deep and sin muddy need for him. It is about repenting and saying, God, forgive me for we have not paid attention. We have been distracted, we have been preoccupied and we have prayed 120 questions in prayer telling ourselves that we prayed but really rather actually just focusing all over again on our problems, our lives and the way we want things to go and the way we want God to make them go I pray that you can picture the Lord giving you his body and his blood when you open your Bible because approaching the Bible that way I think will very much change how you read it and how you receive it in your heart I pray that this little booklet will touch you deeply and move you to your core to follow the voice of God without compromising to see your life with God's eyes see what he has called you to With the realization that what He has called you to matters. Not because the world says it matters, or because Facebook says it matters, or the number of followers you have on social media matters. It matters because you are God's child and you had worth long before you had a calling or before He had a plan for your life. And it matters because there are people out there dying the eternal life you carry within your soul I pray that the Lord would give all of us a new perspective that we would look further than our circumstances and our problems and the silly little things we complain about that we would just have a glance at the bigger picture that the Father God holds in His hands and ask the Holy Spirit humbly for the courage to trust Him more. To trust Him enough to be joyful when your circumstances are not joyful and that you would have your heart in the right place at the right time for the right reason that the Holy Spirit would bring us to a place we are capable of obeying not for brownie points but for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the sake of love for Jesus and for the sake of other people who are looking for hope that is real. I pray that the Holy Spirit will give you dreams and visions tonight and in this week to come about how they spend time in his word, about the themes he wants you to pay attention to, and that he will give you direction more more than any of that that he will that he will give you an experience that creates in you a capacity and a hunger for more we need to have a desire for more than just to get through the pandemic and to get back to normal which won't be normal we need to have an appetite for more than just financial stability and promotion and a more comfy house a more comfy car or all those things we need to God cares about the the normal things in our daily life but I feel like we've become so fixated on them that we've forgotten the wonder and the gift that it is to just know him and to see his hand in the details of our lives and to realize that we are called to be co-workers with Christ and participators in his glory and his suffering we are called to live from a place of empowered grace To live from a place where anything and everything is possible resurrection is possible pray that you go to bed expecting that tonight and expecting it tomorrow morning when you wake up I realise I've now said I'm praying for a lot of things (laughs) but I mean every one of them I know tonight's session is a bit late and gone on a bit longer but uh, I believe it was worth it and I'm going to say goodnight on this note and I will see you again next week for our session on meditation and Bible reading I just want to close in prayer thank you Father for your word thank you for the early fathers who left behind such fantastic teaching and correction and wisdom and balance and discernment and a deep call to holiness and purification. I pray, God, that you give us grace to follow in their footsteps and to learn from them. And to let your Holy Spirit rearrange our lives into the right order. I pray the blood of Jesus over all of us, over every listener. May the blessing and peace of God go with you and protect you and keep you safe. Until next week. Amen.